Hello, friends, and welcome to another Robcast. This is Robcast 92, and this one is called Learning to Lament, Part 1, The Culture of Denial. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, there's going to be a new podcast every day this week, and I am going to take you through, in the middle of the Bible, is this collection of poems called Lamentations, and they're totally easy to skip right by because they're only just a couple of pages. Um, and they're about grief, loss, pain, and heartache. And uh, I get to meet so many of you, and so many people are carrying around all this grief and loss and pain and heartache. So I want to do this whole series and uh, I want to talk about learning to lament. Lamenting is like an art form. It's like a, it's almost like a skill or a practice that many people weren't ever taught. And it's absolutely necessary to be healthy and whole and fully alive. And uh, so we're going to talk about denial, shock, straight out of Compton, witness, guilt, rebirth. Um, we are going to be all over the place in this next series of uh, episodes. And uh, so before we get into episode one, um, a couple things. We made an Everything is Spiritual 2 film. Um, I made a film and did a tour in 2006 um, with a giant rectangle whiteboard. And then we made a new film based on last year's tour, which is all new content, and the whiteboard shaped like a triangle. What more, you know, what's not to love? And uh, we just released the film. It's been out for about a week. The response has been uh, just amazing, and I'm totally excited for you to see it. The film is an hour and 55 minutes, and it's all over the place, but it's on YouTube for free. So uh, everything is spiritual. And you can find it on YouTube. And then a uh, couple announcements about how to be here. Um, we're going to be doing Belfast, Northern Ireland, the How to Be Here experience on Saturday, August 6th. So we just added that. London will be the following Saturday, the 13th. And um, so I will be in a couple different cities there in the UK, and I would love to see you there. But Belfast, um, tickets just went up. And then uh, that's August. July uh, will be How to Be Here in Australia. We're doing Sydney, Brisbane, and Melbourne. All that info is at robbell.com. And then I will be in Minneapolis this Saturday for the How to Be Here experience. So Friday night book signing, Saturday How to Be Here experience, which is based around um, my new book. And then we're going to be in Portland and then Tulsa and Brooklyn and so just give me time and I will get to your city, my good friend. <laughs> and then I've been doing these Facebook. Facebook gave me these, uh, gave me this app so that I can do like live stream video. I can like talk to you all on my phone and then people can just type comments and questions. And it's literally so much fun. I laugh so hard because you people are hilarious. So anyway, I've been doing those quite a few days, uh, a week. And uh, that's it at my Facebook page. You can see those and that's good times. And then uh, a couple of you have asked, actually quite a few of you asked about signed books, like some of my older books. 
And we just, um, at my site, put a bunch of, uh, I signed, I don't know how many books, and put them on my site so you can get um, signed books going way back to like, you know, Velvet Elvis, you know, going proper old school. So um, if you want signed books, especially the older ones, uh, that's all at robbell.com. So that's some stuff that's going on. But now, my friends, what I want to do is we're going to do a new Robcast every day for a while here. And I want to take you through these poems called The Lamentations. There are five poems, and the, the wisdom, the depth of insight, um, just the, the sheer brutal honesty of these poems, um, I'm telling you, it is so affected um, how I see the world and my own growth. Um, so I'm going to try to do my best to give language to all that I've learned through these um, old, old poems. And the poems are actually very mysterious. In some senses, it's like God is on trial in the poems. Um, God doesn't, God's sort of lingering around the edges, um, but there's a great deal of suspicion about God and heartache and woundedness. And they're, they're, they're really fascinating. Now, a bit of cultural background. The city of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians sometime around the year 500. So the general scholarly consensus is that these poems were written by the survivors of this absolutely catastrophic destruction of the city of Jerusalem. Um, the city of Jerusalem was where the tribe of Judah lived. The general belief is that the other tribes of Israel weren't affected like the tribe of Judah was, but that this particular um, tribe within the larger Jewish tribe living in Jerusalem experienced um, incomprehensible devastation and destruction. Most of the people were hauled away to Babylon, so literally yanked from the soil and hauled a long ways away to a foreign nation, and that these poems it's generally believed, came out, are, are essentially written by those stumbling amidst the rubble, the rubble of this destruction. And the poems, there are five of them. There are three characters in the poems. And these three characters are like the three perspectives. One of the characters is a narrator who sort of tells you what happened. Then there's a woman and then there's a man. So what you'll see as we work through them is at different times, we'll be looking at these different voices. And uh, so the poems begin, how deserted lies the city once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is none to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. So, so when you, if you were just to stumble across these poems, for some people would be like, I don't understand what's going on. It's kind of boring. For other people would be like, this is seriously a downer. And it just, especially like the first um, two chapters, just they start low and then they just go lower and lower and lower after affliction and harsh labor judah has gone into exile 
She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. Now remember, in the ancient world, especially at this time in history, your connection with the soil was everything. They literally believed that your tribe, that soil was where you were to be, a deep connection with land. So to say she dwells among the nations means she's, she's been uprooted. Uh, these people have been torn from the land. And land was about family, security, future, identity, economics, religion, worth, value. Uh, so there's all these little lines. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. So many of the people were hauled away to exile. Uh, exile is when you're far from home. And exile can be geographic, but exile can also be spiritual. Are you with me? You can be far from home and be geographically in the same place, and yet something deep in your bones tells you you're far from home. So right away, these poems are about exile. It's like there's a group that's been torn away. They're miles away, far from home, but it's almost like the, the, the group that stayed, that are sort of stumbling among the rubble, they're in a different sort of exile. It's like, what do you do when the place that's always been home is no longer home? Either you've changed, and now these people, places, and tribe that were once your security, now you don't belong like you used to. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So sometimes uh, you've changed. Other times it's changed. And so here, Lamentations opens with the city that was the city of great comfort and identity. It was home, has been destroyed. It is unrecognizable. So that's a bit of the history that's going on. You can see how the poems open with this just gut-wrenching, oh, bitterly she weeps at night, tears are on her cheeks. Verse six, all the splendor has departed from daughter Zion. In the days of her affliction and wandering, Jerusalem remembers all the treasures. So let's just start here. Healthy spirituality is always honest about your responses to your experience. Healthy spirituality is always honest. Now, this is obviously completely obvious ABC 101. I get it, but let's start there. And here's why it's really important to start there. I cannot tell you how many people I interact with who will say things like, uh, can I say that? They'll say something that's just the truth. It's just how it is. And they'll be like, wait, is it okay if I say that? <laughs> or, or they'll say, is it okay to talk about? Or even this Facebook Live thing that, that I've been doing, um, the number of people whose comments are like, is it okay that I ask about or talk about um, wh where you pick up, even, even in the energy of the question, even in the way the question feels this hesitation, like this is a thing that's happening inside of me. This is a thing I'm undergoing. Is it okay to, to actually talk about it? Um, or sometimes people, uh, and th this happens so often, people will say, will apologize. They'll say something like, 
I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I might not be making a lot of sense. I just, somebody that I love just died. Or they'll apologize. They'll say, I, I just lost my job. I just found out that I have cancer. I apologize if, I, if my question didn't. Wait, 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 wait. How upside down is it when we have this instinctual need to say we're sorry or apologize for how things are? Or the question that uh, comes up as much or more is something along the lines of, is it normal that I, and then the person will tell about some very normal, healthy human response to what they've just gone through. Healthy spirituality is always honest about your very real responses to whatever it is you're experiencing. Now, second, cultures, institutions, families, marriages, neighborhoods, even friend groups often develop a code of what can be expressed and what can't be expressed. Cultures, institutions, families, marriages, neighborhoods, uh, friend groups, churches, religious institutions, workplaces often develop a code of what can be expressed and what can't be expressed, what it's okay to talk about and what it's not okay to talk about, what we avoid and what is acceptable to bring up. And here's why this is so huge. Because as you become more healthy, as you become more alive and whole, as you become more and more your true self, your health may end up being a threat to the culture, tribe, institution, family, marriage, workplace that you are in because as you begin to understand what it means to be human and what it means to be alive and how central to that is giving expression to your very real responses to life in this world, uh, what's happening is you begin to realize you don't have to live in fear of that. You can name it. You can talk about it. You can expose it. You can go into the heart of it, and you're going to be fine. And here's the thing. Your culture, institution, family, workplace, church, marriage, whatever it is, may not be okay with it. And so your health may actually be threatening. Your growing vitality and honesty may actually be disruptive to the family tribe system that you are in. You with me on this, my friends? You can see how you learn to lament from a growing place of health and authenticity. That may actually produce disruption, division, and all sorts of awkwardness because cultures, institutions, families, marriages, friend groups, religious communities often develop a code for what can be expressed and what can't be expressed. Now, uh, side note, let's talk about funerals for a minute. Think about your average Western funeral. Everybody wears black. They sit in rows still. Maybe some tears coming down. Maybe uh, some Kleenex. 
people stand behind a lectern very still and give eulogies. Sometimes there's laughing, sometimes there's singing, sometimes there's outright weeping, but generally it's a fairly controlled affair. I have literally been at funerals where the person who just lost somebody they love was talking to me and broke down and choked up and then said, I'm sorry, uh, I'm, I'm just really affected by this. They literally apologized for choking up at the funeral of someone they loved. Uh, now, contrast your Western modern funeral with those pictures. Maybe you've seen a picture of a, of a funeral somewhere in the Middle East, and they're dragging a, carrying a coffin through the center of the village, and people are weeping and wailing, and they're throwing themselves on the coffin, and they're beating their chests, and they're wrapping their arms around the coffin, and they're shrieking at the top of their lungs, and something within you, your first response is sort of, oh my word, how, how primitive, how uh, uncivilized is it? Or is that actually the more healthy response to the loss of someone you love? Is that not actually the more enlightened, informed perspective? Because it's responding to death how the totality of your being actually feels. They're actually getting it all out. And here's the thing, if you don't get it all out, if you don't give expression to the fullness of your responses to whatever it is you're experiencing, then it's all down in there somewhere. All that grief, all that pain, it's just stuffed down in there somewhere and it will come out somehow. My brothers and sisters, we live in a culture of denial that doesn't often know how to properly express authentic responses to what's actually happening. Uh, my friend Pete Rollins uh, has this, uh, said this great thing about Princess Diana's death. When Princess Diana died, remember somebody put flowers in front of Buckingham Palace and then somebody else put flowers in front of the gate at Buckingham Palace and then somebody else put flowers and within a couple of hours, there were like hundreds of flowers and within a day, remember that? It was like, a, it was like f uh, just hundreds of yards of flowers in every direction and, and it was like there was this, when you watched the sort of media coverage, there was this growing almost surprise at this public outpouring of grief. Honestly, even the queen apparently was quite surprised by it. Um, and my friend Pete Rollins uh, had this great comment. He said, it, it's what happens when somebody public dies is it gives everybody else, it's almost like a release valve, a way to express everything that they've had down in there that they haven't known how to express. Uh, have you ever had this experience where somebody um, famous dies who you didn't know that you appreciated their work, but you didn't really know them, know them, and yet you found yourself deeply overwhelmed with grief, whether Robin Williams or Prince, and you found yourself thinking, this is way out of proportion to how well I knew this person or even knew their work. Um, oftentimes, we, we loved them and we loved their work, but oftentimes what also happens is, is in our grief over their loss, the loss of them, we're actually tapping into all of this unexpressed grief, loss, pain, and heartache that we're carrying around that hasn't been given expression.
And so to be growing in health is to be less and less fearful of whatever it is that you have down in there. You're less and less fearful of your interior life, pain, loss, anger, shock, all of that. Uh, you begin to realize you don't have to live in fear of whatever it is that lurks on inside of you, lurks inside of you. Now, uh, for many people, when you say lamenting or learning to lament, the first thought is, oh, you mean like learning how to cry better? You know, how to weep and shed tears? So let me give you uh, an expanded understanding because when I'm, I'm, when I'm talking about lamenting, we're, we're not just talking about grief or giving expression to pain and loss. We're talking about something much, much wider and more fierce than even that. Uh, Kathleen O'Connor has done some outstanding writing about these lamentation poems in the middle of the Bible. She says this, lamentation names what is wrong, what is out of order in God's world, what keeps human beings from thriving in all their creative potential. <laughs> Come on, Kathleen O'Connor. How good is that? She says, to lament is to name what is wrong, what is out of order in God's world, and what keeps human beings from thriving in all their creative potential. See, lamenting isn't just expressing emotion. Lamenting is naming what's in the way of human beings thriving. Simple, she goes on, simple acts of lament expose these conditions, name them, open them to grief and anger, and make them visible for remedy. How good is that? To lament is to expose essentially anything that's in the way of human beings thriving. It's to expose it, name it, to open the conditions to grief and anger, and then to make them visible for remedy. So you can't fix it until it's been made visible. And then this last line of hers, which is just, she says, in its complaint and anger and grief, lamentation protests conditions that prevent human thriving, and this resistance may finally prepare the way for healing. So she essentially says, all that anger and grief, and that's actually, it has to come up or you're never going to get to the healing. So lamenting isn't just naming that you're having a bad day or that you lost somebody that you love, which is serious, and giving name to your emotions, but it's about exposing conditions that are inhibiting human thriving. It's about resisting because in doing that, that's the only way you get to the remedy and healing. Oh, come on. See, lamentation for many people is, is thought of as crying, how to weep and shed tears. But lamentation also, lamenting, has serious political and cultural implications. Lament is the fierce and fearless naming of what's wrong. Not because you're just trying to tear it down, but because only when you shine the light on it only when you name it and drag it out into the open can the healing begin. A couple thoughts about this. First, you're hearing a lot recently people using the word deconstruction. Uh, you know, we're just a, a lot of deconstruction. Lots like 
so many people now are using this word, deconstruction, we're deconstructing things, which is fantastic. But the important thing to remember is you are deconstructing, you're taking it apart, you're naming it, you're exposing it, you're giving it language so that there can be remedy and healing. You can, it's, it is easy to draw a crowd with, with deconstruction, just point out everything that's wrong. Easy. The real art, the real invitation, the real challenge is you're exposing it because then you're preparing the way for remedy and healing. Uh, two recent movies come to mind. First, the movie Spotlight. Um, you've seen this, right? Come on, peoples. This movie... Uh, it's about these journalists who essentially exposed the abuse of kids in the Catholic Church. Uh, and the movie, if you think about the arc or the tension of the movie, is you're like, come on, come on, come on, come on. This light needs to be shed on this. Everybody needs to know how bad this is, what what you're feeling in the movie. And as it gets more and more like, oh, they're going to do it. They're actually going to expose it. Um, spoiler alert, obviously. Uh that trajectory that you're feeling that left you just on the edge of your seat all the way through to the end of that movie, that's lamentation. It's a movie, that's a dimension of lamenting, is exposing and naming the conditions that are in the way of human thriving. Yeah, that's why that movie is so powerful, is we live in a culture of denial, and that movie is all about denial, denial, denial. Whatever you do, don't acknowledge how bad it is. And the movie is about the fierce, heroic, courageous act of lamentation, naming it. Uh, second movie, uh, which to me, the implications of this are so many and profound. Oh, uh, straight out of Compton. Of course, think about it. Uh, remember in the early, maybe nineties when there was all that, um, all those hearings in Washington among politicians about parental advisory stickers and language in rap music, I believe Tipper Gore was involved. Any of you remember that? And there was this whole big thing about, uh, all of the horrible language in this new gangster rap. Uh, what was fascinating to me is the discussion was about all this offensive language and how there should be stickers on the front of albums. Uh, but let's back up a minute. If uh, you think through, oftentimes rap came out of this fierce and fearless naming of what's wrong. The system doesn't work. Uh, all of these young men are in jail. Many are dead. Fathers aren't around. Urban schools are underfunded. And often, a lot of that early rap, especially the, um, the er that early, early 90s, it was naming the pain. It was giving language and expression to what it feels like when no one's listening and no one sees the injustice and the loss and the violence. Yeah, that, and think about your experiences. When you experienced injustice, when you, when you were wronged, when somebody took advantage of you, anybody here, you ever, did you ever say something and nobody listened? And what happened? You got angry. You got really angry. And what happens when you speak up 
and no one listens. You get even angrier. And then what do you do? You spike your language, right? You start using language with more electricity to it. Of course you do because you're trying to get somebody to notice because there's an injustice, there's a wrong, something is out of order in God's world. And if you're lamenting, you're still alive. Yeah, you're still in the game. And what's fascinating, I look back on it now and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my word, if stop arguing about the sticker on the album and whether or not this language is acceptable or culturally appropriate for kids and start, and I'm, whatever, if you're, you know, yeah, fine, argue that all you want. But the better question, I would argue the biblical question is what kind of conditions gave rise to that language? And what you have in Lamentations is you have the timeless biblical reminder that the question is not the language. The question is, what are the conditions that gave rise to that? Yeah, because that's, that's actually where the divine heart is. That's what God cares. God doesn't care about the sticker. God cares about the kind of pain and loss and abandonment and the breakdown of a tribe to such a degree that they would even need to give expression to that kind of pain. That's actually God's heart. Come on. Man, I'm getting all fired up here. Now, a couple thoughts to wrap this up, episode one. And by the way, we're, what are we, we're like three verses. Are we literally four verses into these poems? Because we're just scratching the surface. So let me, a couple things. To lament is to refuse to be silent. To lament is to refuse to let whatever it is just simmer down in there. To lament is to rip open your rib cage and let it out. To lament is to expose, to name, to give language to whatever it is that is out of order in God's good world. To lament is to step further and further into a healthy, open, honest, authentic spirituality. And to lament means you may run the risk of disrupting. You may disrupt family, friends, tribe, workplace. To, to lament is a dangerous, courageous act. It is more and more about you being healthy, but it may actually produce all sorts of unforeseen disruption. To lament is to feel your full humanity. Yeah. Is there anything you got jammed down in there? My brothers and sisters, is there anything around you that is not right? It is out of order in God's good world. And it needs to be exposed. It needs to be named. Is there anything within you that you are terrified of? And to lament is to remember there's nothing inside of you to be afraid of. The ground of your being is love. You can drag it up. You can expose it. You can name it. You can process it. You can articulate it. You can give language to it. Uh, I often meet people who things have changed. They aren't who they were. They moved. Somebody else moved. They went to a different job. They lost somebody they loved. They got divorced. Whatever it looks like, things changed, and they never properly grieved that change. 
and it's like right below the surface. I cannot tell you how many people I have said to them, you're grieving. You lost something. You lost something bad. You lost something good. You lost some, you, you lost something. And divorce is a death. It's just that the other person is still alive, but divorce is a death. So is job, uh, job loss. That's a death. It's a death of how things were. And I have met so many educated, smart, sometimes wealthy, innovative, high energy, compassionate, fantastic people who are actually, something's wrong and they can't put their finger on it. And oftentimes it's grief. You're grieving. You never properly grieve that. And it's okay. It's okay. It's totally normal as a human being to need to grieve that. And you live in a culture of denial. Whatever you do, pretend things are fine. Whatever you do, get plastic surgery. Whatever you do, just keep quiet. Whatever you do, don't actually say that. Didn't we all agree not to say that, even though everybody already knows it's true? Didn't we all? No, I didn't make that agreement. Or from now here on out, I don't agree that we just keep quiet about that. I say we say something. I say we blow the roof off this thing. Yeah. So lamentation is both your growing fearlessness about your own interiors and your vulnerability about naming that which resides within you. And then it is the courageous, fearless naming of that which is wrong in God's good world. Yeah. So that's like the intro to the intro to the intro of this uh, series. But that's, there we go. That's part one, and tomorrow, part two. Grace and peace, my friends.